You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church again. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder. I know there are several new folks here this morning, so we extend to you a special welcome. If you were here last week, you saw uh, the elders present me with a gift that commemorated 25 years of blessed service at Grace Community Church. One wisecrack, Mr. Mike Shreve, said, oh, is that a large print Bible? <laughs> it's this size. <laughs> um, you might be distressed to know it's a portfolio that holds my sermon so I can preach more now and longer, but thank you so much, uh, everyone, for your kind remarks this past weekend for the elders and the generous gift from all of you. Well, welcome, Julia. We're so glad you're getting started uh, this week. Thank you for praying for with us, everyone, and the Lord has led Julia our way, and we're excited to get to know her and for her to begin serving uh, our body and the Lord here at Grace. Well, I wanted to ask you this morning, if you remember the first time you heard about or learned about the rapture, that's exciting stuff, isn't it? Maybe you were a Christian or maybe you weren't, but you heard that one day Jesus is going to come down from heaven in the clouds and gather all those who know him to himself. It will be instantaneous, you learn. And while those who don't know Jesus remain on the earth, those who do know Christ will be gone in an instant. Clothes will remain, all extra stuff will remain, but believers Will go. And when you're a young believer, especially when you are young as a believer, like a teenager or an early uh, young adult, uh, your mind can quickly move you into a state of panic if you think the rapture has come and you have been left behind, as it were. I, I remember one time when I was a staff member at TVR, I came home from the week, uh, week it was a weekend, and I had gone to Spruce Pine, it was mid 70s. I came home on the weekend, and I couldn't find anyone there. I mean, it was unusual, but there was absolutely no one on the property. And I, being one who at the time was doubting my salvation, I went through a five-year period of just miserable doubting whether or not I was a Christian. Um, I was troubled. Let's just say I was troubled that particular day. And, man... It was a relief to me when other staff members began to appear. I've heard of elaborate pranks that people play. Like they invite a Christian friend over, and when the friend gets there, there are crumpled clothes and half-eaten sandwiches and something spilled, you know. Look, for, for, a, for one who used to doubt itself, not funny. It's not funny, okay? Don't do those kind of things. This morning's text is 1 Corinthians 4, 13 through 18. The message is titled, The Thrill of Jesus' Return. 
I'd hope to get all the way through chapter 5, verse 11, but that's just going to have to wait until next week. That's okay. We'll do the whole of chapter 5 next week and then on to Daniel the following week. Um, Paul is addressing in this text a concern about Jesus' second coming, but it was not the same concern that we have. The folks in Thessalonica thought, well, now, Jesus is going to return any day now. And that's the way we should all feel at all times. Jesus is going to return at any time. But they didn't have the teaching that we have. We've got 2,000 years of teaching when you think about this. So they were worried about the people who had already died. Have they missed out? I mean, Jesus is going to catch us up, going to bring us to heaven when, when he comes back. But what about those who have died? Have they missed out? And Paul was assuring them in this text that no, they had not missed out. That Jesus would bring them even before he brings those who are alive. So let's read our text. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. It's our custom to stand as the scriptures being read. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or who have died. Let me just say this. I don't have it in the sermon. This is not talking about soul sleep. It's just a, it, it, it's, it, it's just a way they express death. Those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we decide, uh, declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have died, those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, Christians, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another, with these words, the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Be seated. <clears throat> well, now, I'm just going to say it. This is going to mark the beginning. This morning's text is going to mark the beginning of teaching about the second coming of Christ, where we're going to begin to find differences with other believers. Maybe we don't see it exactly the same way, whereas up to this point, we've all agreed with everything that's been taught to this point. We're not going to believe with everyone in the same way with everyone on the details of eschatology or the doctrine of last things. So in saying this, I don't mean to uh, create unnecessary concern, but rather to acknowledge that there are several views that fall under the umbrella of orthodoxy or right teaching, accepted doctrine in the Protestant church. When we get to the middle of Daniel, then we're going to begin to talk about premillennialism and historical premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism. 
dispensationalism is a subset of premillennialism. And some of you have no earthly idea what I'm talking about. It's okay. We'll get to it. And I promise we'll take it slowly enough that hopefully we'll be able to understand what these different designations are. So, once again, we're likely to come to different conclusions uh, when we, just, just like we did when we spent five weeks in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 talking about spiritual gifts. It's okay to have different views, but we need to know what to believe and why we believe what we do. And it's helpful to understand why others believe what they do. Maybe on certain subjects like spiritual gifts or about end times theology or even baptism, we don't understand others' views and so consequently we say, well, that's just crazy. Well, no, not when you stop and think about it. There's good reason for them thinking the ways that they do. And that, that alone would be helpful. As you can see, this is going to take time. And in addition to Daniel and Revelation, we'll find ourselves in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Matthew and Luke and 1 Thessalonians as we are this morning. Probably 2 Thessalonians somewhere along the way. It's why we're taking these breaks known as eschatological excurses. This is an eschatological excursus we're taking this morning. It's a break to uh, take time to go deeper into a particular text or a portion of the text or a related subject that is pertinent to the overall study. I'm not going to be taking a hard and fast position on all eschatological matters for two reasons. One, as I mentioned, there are several views represented and 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 any which any one of which might be correct. Two, I'm not fully certain where I stand on all of the issues. Fairly certain where I stand on a lot, but not on everything. And perhaps I will find clarity along with you as we go. The believers in Thessalonica were experiencing ongoing persecution. So it's no wonder that one of Paul's key points of focus was the full confidence that Jesus would return for his church. And in fact, the promise of the second coming is listed and mentioned in every one of the five chapters of 1 Thessalonians. Paul uh, told his readers that he did not want them to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, And he used this phrase multiple times in his letters. He wanted his readers to to understand and know the truth about biblical doctrine. Why teach doctrine when he could be giving them tips on how to live? I mean, isn't that why you go to church? How to figure out how to get through the week? No, Paul said. Because believers go astray when they get caught up with popular ideas that are not rooted in the truth of Scripture. The concern that the Thessalonians had was a far more concern than our modern-day thoughts about timing and details of Jesus' return. The Thessalonians were already facing significant persecution, so they weren't worried so much about tribulation. They were concerned that their Christian friends and family who had died would miss out on Jesus' second coming. Therefore, they would be in 
eternal limbo. Now, as silly as that sounds to us, was it not logical for them to wonder about their loved one's eternal state when you hear about the second coming and you say, everybody who is a believer is going to be caught up. But what about those who have died? Their understanding of God's word and his ways was not yet fully formed. It was, in fact, their uncertainty that led to Paul's response, which informs our understanding of end times and God's faithfulness. The knowledge that those who have died in Christ will be raised from the dead when Jesus returns should completely change our perspective about death. Do we grieve or is it okay to grieve when someone that we love dies? Let me just say this. I've been in ministry long enough to recognize that when someone you love dies and you have this, it's okay. You know what? God is sovereign. God, you're the one I'm worried about. I'm not worried about those who grieve and, and, and pour out their hearts to the Lord. Look, other cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, when someone dies, they tear their clothes. They throw dirt into the air. They wail. But they're able to get past that sooner. But even so, that is sooner than a lot of us do. But even so, grieving is okay. But we don't grieve in the same way. I, I always think it's just an odd mixture of emotions that believers go through when, an, when a fellow believer dies. This is a person who's been part of your life. Part of you has been ripped, apart, ripped away from you. And yet you not only know where he or she is, you know that you will see your loved one again. <clears throat> so don't grieve in the same way as those who have no hope. In verse 14, Paul quickly puts their concerns to rest. God is going to take care of those who went to the grave believing that Jesus died for their sins and rose again, thus promising the resurrection of their bodies when he returns for the church. Once again, the early church did not have the same level of sophistication in their doctrinal understanding and their doctrinal statements as we do. Verse 15 gives us a word that we're going to encounter many times over in this coming year. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul assured his believers that those who had died would not be forgotten because Jesus will come for them as well as for those who are alive at the church. In the first century, the word coming, our English word coming, was typically used for an official visit of someone of high rank, especially kings and emperors. The Greek word for the English word coming or arriving is parousia. Parousia, I'm sorry. It refers to the second coming of Christ. Now look, you have heard people talk about the parousia. They're, they're, they, they pronounce it in several different ways. Parousia, 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 or parousia. I was trying to get the pronunciation down, just making sure I've heard this word so many times and read it. 
But then I'm thinking, oh, wait, about the pronunciation. And there were two clips from John MacArthur, two from R.C. Sproul, and they pronounced it all four ways in those two clips. Uh, so I, you're going to mostly hear me pronounce this word, the second coming of Christ. And I think that'll be uh, pretty good. In verse 16, Paul explains what will signal Jesus' second advent or the return to the earth that we sang about this morning in joy to the world. Jesus will come with an authoritative word. The archangel will shout and the trumpet of God will sound, signaling Jesus' return. So whether these are three distinct sounds or if they all occur at the same time is uncertain. But what is certain is that when Jesus speaks in the same way he did at Lazarus' tomb, those who belong to Jesus will rise. Those who have already died will go first and then we are right on their heels. In verse 17, Paul expects to be among those who will then be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We who are alive, he says. Now, in chapter 5, verse 10, he's going to acknowledge the possibility that he will die. But just like all believers should, he anticipated Jesus' return at any moment. All the promises of these verses provide tangible ways for us to comfort one another. So I want to think for a few minutes about a second word in this text that requires our attention. It's in verse 15. It's translated caught up, but we know it as the rapture. The time when believers will disappear from the earth because Jesus has called, him, called us to meet him in the air. Now, most likely, these clouds are not the kinds of clouds that we see. And this is probably clouds of Shekinah glory that showed up whenever the Lord was present in the Old Testament, where we see in Revelation, in Revelation 1-7, where Jesus returns in the clouds. Most likely, clouds of glory. Jesus is God after all. Therefore, it's entirely possible that the Lord will return on a bright, sunny day. You don't have to wait till it's cloudy to say, hmm, this would be a good day for Jesus to return. Any day is a good day for Jesus to return. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The word rapture comes from the Latin word rapturo. The Greek word is harpazo, which means to snatch or take away. But when the Bible was translated into Latin in the 4th century, we don't think about the fact that, that a whole lot of people for a thousand or more years read the Bible in Latin. So Latin, when it was translated into Latin, the word harpazo was translated rapturo. And this is only one of four forms of this word that I found. So... It's the word, it's, it, again, rapture comes from rapturo. It's where we get our English word rapture. It's, it's not in the English translation. Even so, once again, this would be a good day for the rapture. 
There's another word we need to give attention to in verse 17. It's the word meet. We will meet the Lord in the air. It comes from the Greek word apontesis, which was used to describe citizens going out from a city to meet a dignitary and then to accompany him back into the city. You'll recall in Acts 28 when Paul was being brought to Rome as a prisoner that we are told that Christian brothers came as far as the Forum of Appius in three taverns to meet Paul and accompany him back to the city. That was some 33 miles or so. Pretty good distance. So communication was different back then, but it got done. Those Roman roads allowed for news to travel fast. And so 33 miles they went out and then they came back with him into the city. Okay, this is a good time to take a break and think about the big picture. When we speak of foundational beliefs and doctrines of Scripture here at Grace Community Church, we talk about closed-fisted doctrines and open-handed beliefs. There are some doctrines that are right here that we're never going to say there's room for any dispute whatsoever. The Trinity, the divinity of Jesus, justification by faith, the importance of understanding that we are sinners in need of a Savior, what it is about our nature, all of that is right here. But as I mentioned earlier, spiritual gifts, are there spiritual gifts? Yes, it's very clear. Are all in play today? Does God, that's open-handed. What about baptism? Is it important? Yes, baptism is expected for all believers. What about the mode of baptism and when? Now, just because we have an open hand on some of these positions does not mean we, or on some of these particular doctrines or beliefs, does not mean we don't have a position. We do. But we recognize that there are a lot of things that fall under the umbrella of orthodoxy. Again, these are all Christians, but we have different views about certain aspects of Scripture. So is the second coming of Christ right here? Yes, it is. Exactly how and when it's going to happen? More open-handed. Whether or not the rapture happens before the tribulation or after the tribulation, or it's going to blow some of your minds, even if there's going to be a tribulation. That's all right here. We're going to think about all of this stuff over the next year. And as we do, I want you to remember, we learned in layers, right? When was the point in your Christian life that you got it all figured out and then you said, okay, there's no room for me to change my mind about anything in Scripture? We never get to that place. Now, again, there are a lot of things right here, a lot in Scripture we're never going to compromise in any way. And even when you change your view, it's not compromise. It's a fuller understanding of Scripture. So don't think of today's message as all you will ever need to know about the rapture. We're going to revisit this theme again over the course of the next year. The question we need to address this morning is whether the rapture occurs at the second coming of Christ when every eye shall see him as we are told in Revelation 1-7, or does the rapture occur separate from the visible return of Christ to the earth to establish his kingdom? 
Many believe that there are two separate stages. Many of you believe. And I have believed it. And I, whether I still think the rapture comes before the tribulation or after the tribulation, I don't know. But some, a lot believe that there are two separate stages of Jesus' second coming. The first stage is a secret return of Jesus in the clouds to bring all believers with him. And as you can imagine, this would create chaos in the world. If you believe that the rapture is a separate eschatological event that occurs seven years before Jesus' return to establish his kingdom on earth, then you believe that there will be seven years of great tribulation at the end of the age, or of tribulation. Some break that up into two halves, and first is tribulation, then the great tribulation. Or you believe that Jesus will come before the wrath of God is poured out on unbelievers, soon before his visible return to the earth. With any of these positions, pre, mid, pre-wrath, it's a belief that Jesus will return in two stages. First, for his followers, this is the rapture. The second return will be when every eye see him, sees him and he comes to the earth to judge all who have ever lived. Some are destined for eternal life and others are destined for eternal condemnation. Nobody disagrees about that. All believers agree with, about that. And what is the difference between those who are destined for eternal life and those destined for eternal destruction? What you believed about Jesus before he returned, before you died. The question we're going to address briefly before we come to the Lord's table this morning is whether or not the rapture comes before Jesus returns or it's simultaneous with Jesus coming to judge the living and the dead. Here are three arguments for both positions informed and directed by Alan Bandy, Dr. Alan Bandy, a professor of New Testament and Greek at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, these points are going to be in a handout along with the words that I talked about a while ago. Um, so you don't have to write furiously. I think somehow I missed a quote by F.F. Bruce a while ago. That's going to be on that handout as well. Let me just read that um, if I can find it. Um, here's what he said about how all these different words. Ben, if you can go back to that slide where you've got, uh, okay, you got it up there. It's up there now. When a dignitary paid an official visit or a parousia to a city in Hellenistic times, the action of the leading citizens in going out to meet him and escort him back to the final stage of his journey, on the final stage of his journey, was called the apentasis, meeting and returning. So, that is part of this. Um, that informs a little bit our understanding in these next Arguments. First, the argument for a two-stage return of Christ. The rapture and return of Christ are separate and distinct eschatological events. And the first point is this. God has promised to spare the church from his wrath that will be poured out on unbelievers near the end 
of the age. It, it is true that sinners uh, receive a wrath that believers are spared. But haven't we also been promised that we will go through trials and tribulations in this life? Why should we escape when our brothers and sisters have suffered so much through the years? And if you think you know where I'm going, you don't, because I don't know where I'm going either. Two, the great tribulation is the time when God deals with his chosen people, or the Israelites. And the church is taken out of the way to allow this to occur. That's what's going on in the tribulation. God is dealing with his people, Israel. Will, does God still have a plan for Israel? It's pretty clear in Romans 11. Yes, he does. He's not forgotten them. There will be a time when many of them return to Christ. Is it such a separate thing that he's going to deal with them exclusively in the last seven years before he returns to earth? Don't know. Uh, th and by the way, this point does not deny that all believers are considered Abraham's children. But it does affirm that significant work in the lives of the Jewish people in the future. Third, <clears throat> dispensationalists, those who believe that God works in different ways at different periods of time, dispensationalists have identified and distinguished at least 22 rapture passages from at least 20 second coming passages. Don't ask me about those. I, I'm, I don't, I'm taking the word of Mr. Bandy on this. We'll get into some of those in Matthew uh, 24 as we go this, this coming week. The, to, to believe that the rapture happens and then there's a, a, um, uh, a tribulation and then Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom on earth is a sophisticated theological construct. But one of the difficulties about this particular theological construct is that five different theologians will have five different views about all the details of Jesus coming back in this way. So that's the first view. The second view is this. The rapture and return of Christ occur simultaneously at the end of the tribulation. That would be, for those of you who believe there's going to be a seven-year period on earth known as the tribulation and great tribulation, that would be a post-trib rapture view. Here's the first point. A two-separate-events belief relies on a theological construct, not on direct teaching from Scripture. It's not clear in Scripture. The church did not believe this view before the 1830s. Thus, it's a relatively new belief. Now, just because it's a theological construct is no big deal. That's how we know about the Trinity. It's a theological construct, right? It's covenant baptism, theological construct. You're putting pieces together. What is worth noting, though, is that this system is so new. It's all many of you have ever known. But it's, it's relatively recent because it's only about 200 years old. Second, parousia means arrival and coming, but it also connotes presence. 
common first century usage of this word implied a public event. It's true that God only does, he does a lot of things that only believers see and understand. But is there enough biblical evidence to separate Jesus' return into two separate events? Number three, in Matthew 24, verses 21 to 22, Jesus taught that the, the elect will go through great tribulation and that his second coming will cut short the days of tribulation. I, I suppose the question is whether the great tribulation Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24 is the seven-year tribulation that some see at the end of time. And so that's all you need to know about the rapture. Just kidding. Uh, this, is gonna, this topic is going to find its way into our study uh, repeatedly. And while it seems like a monumental part of end times beliefs, it's only the tip of the iceberg. What we believe about the details of the second coming should in no way divide us. Look, what do I believe? I can tell you what I hope. If there's going to be a tribulation, I hope Jesus is coming before it. That's what I hope. But it's not as clear as we want it to be. What we believe, again, about the details of the second coming should in no way divide us. What we all believe about the second coming, that Jesus is coming again, and we pray that it's today. All of that should unite us as we approach the Lord's table. So I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come forward and the elders and deacons who are serving and staff at the table, if you would come forward. And as they come forward, I just want to give a few uh, bits of information, a few instructions. First of all, we're going to be uh, first of all, the, the, the bread is gluten-free. You, you need to know that. A second, uh, we'll be serving from the front, front. There will be a pair of servers in front of each section. When we come forward, you'll come from, uh, through the interior aisles, and then we'll go back up uh, through the middle aisle and the outer aisles. So ushers will help you um, know where you're supposed to be and when you're supposed to be there. When you come forward, if you would, please take both elements and then go back to your seat and then we will all partake together. If you're unable to come forward, we have uh, Ricky Lee is going to be in the back. Just raise your hand and he will come and serve you where you are. This meal is intended for believers. So if you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, uh, then please join us at this meal. If not, consider the great things that God has done for you by sending his son. He loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And why not make your profession of faith this morning as you partake and say, I believe, because that's what we're doing. We are affirming our belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are sinners and that Something had to be done about our sin. And that when Jesus raised the bread and then the cup, he said, this is for you. 
And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He was about to take the punishment that we deserved upon himself on the cross. And the wrath of God that will be poured out on unbelievers at the end of the age will not be poured out on us. Because Jesus took that wrath in our place. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And when he had uh, do this in remembrance of me, I'm sorry, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then that last verse, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Everything we've talked about this morning. The things that we all agree on 100%. That's what we're proclaiming. This table. This morning. At home group this past week. One of our ladies told a story. About a man who was a sailor. Possibly was in the Navy. I don't know. Who traveled the world. And at all the ports he would come to. He would ask people, or he would say to people, the Bible teaches that when we die, we're going to go either to heaven or hell. Don't you think that's worth your consideration? Yeah, it is worth our consideration. You may say, I don't believe the Bible. That's okay. But that is what the Bible teaches. That at our death, we will go either to heaven to hell if you know Jesus and, and again as one who doubted for five years I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation in fact those of you who have asked Jesus to forgive your sins and you said I trust Jesus he's my only hope of heaven I'm not worried about you if you're doubting I'm worried about you if you don't care about that anymore but if you're doubting you're saying oh Lord did, did I say it right did, did I mean it did Stop it. Stop it. He died for you. You belong to him. You belong to him. And when you die or when he returns, if that comes before, which I hope it does, you're going to him for eternity to heaven. That's cause to celebrate. Even as we confess our sins for this table, We celebrate the work of Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we are unworthy. And yet we are grateful. We pray that as we come to this table... And partake of this meal. That you will forgive us our trespasses. That you would give us a heart to to forgive those who have trespassed against us. We confess that we have sinned in word, thought, 
deed. And we have left undone things that ought to have been done. Lord, forgive us. You've promised that you do because of Jesus' death. And you've called us to remember it frequently when we come to your house and we sit at the table of the Lord. And so this day, we ask for forgiveness. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for the Holy Spirit making it clear to us. And even as we partake, we commit ourselves afresh and anew to you. It's because of Jesus that we can say these things and pray in his name. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.